But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. So we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. And now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Please keep, keep your Bibles open. On the screen, there's going to be some verse references for some of the things I'm talking about. And you may feel that I'm boring and you want to instead check whether I'm making things up. I'm Matthew. I have the privilege of being on the staff here. And to be honest, this is a very simple Bible passage. All this Bible passage is, is Paul, who's writing a letter telling the Thessalonian church that he really wants to get to visit but hasn't managed to, and that Timothy says they're doing a good job. That's it. He spends four paragraphs saying that. And in the process, he reveals a lot about his attitude and how he interacts with his fellow Christians. In the very earliest days of the church, we see how they acted towards each other. 
And as I looked at that and spotted five things that I particularly wanted to talk about in terms of how Paul is interacting with the Thessalonian church, I was really struck that actually I could easily find in all these things are things that Paul told the Thessalonians to do as well. Paul was actually living out what he was telling them to do in the rest of the letter. So, five things. So let's get going. The first one is that Paul is affectionate. Paul loves the Thessalonians, and he lets them know it. When I say affectionate, that's what I mean. I mean showing love, expressing love, making sure that they know that they are loved. And it is important that people know that they are loved. It's important that we love people, but it's also important that people know that they are loved. Loneliness is something that logically you'd think wouldn't be much of a problem nowadays. People are living closer together than they ever have in big cities like Southampton and are able to communicate more easily than ever before. Paul had to write a letter and then find someone to carry it to another city. We don't. So how come actually stats show that chronic loneliness is on the rise? I was really shocked when I looked this up. I shouldn't have been really, but I was shocked that there are stats that show that chronic loneliness, people who feel just lonely all the time, is higher than it was during some of the lockdowns. People are lonely, even when they're surrounded by other people. Possibly part of that is because even though they are loved, people aren't showing it to them. We need to express our love. And Paul is so affectionate in this passage. He talks about being orphaned when he had to leave his friends. And it's all the way through this passage. And how he writes the Thessalonians is love and he expresses it. He will, towards the end of the letter, in his closing remarks, uh, in chapter 5, verse 26, he will tell the Thessalonians to greet other Christians with a kiss. He's telling them to be affectionate. Now, I don't think we have to do that, which is good, because we're British, and physical affection, not really the done thing for us. Um, Affection is outside the comfort zone for quite a lot of us. My friends can tell me later whether they think it's outside my comfort zone. Thanks, Ben. But actually, it is important that we let people know that they are loved. Think about those people that you love. How confident are you that they are confident that you love them? If that little test is a test that you think you fail, I think it's kind of obvious what to do. Let them know. It doesn't have to be complex. It can just be dropping them a quick message, buying them a little present, 
or whatever works for them best of all, ideally. But let them know that they are loved. Second thing that Paul shows is that it shows that Paul expects difficulties. He's not surprised at all when things go wrong. He sees things going wrong coming from multiple different places. Paul talks about, in chapter 3, verse 4 particularly, he says, I told you to expect us to be persecuted. That's what I taught you would happen. He expects persecution. He expects to be rejected. He also sees Satan interfering in the world, blocking his journeys. But he's not surprised by that. He expects that. And he expects temptation. And he expects the Thessalonians to come across temptation. And Paul is worried about that. Paul, when talking to fellow Christians, talks about the fact that things are going to be difficult. There's going to be temptation. There's going to be struggles. Satan doesn't like what Paul is trying to do and he doesn't like what the Thessalonian church is going to do. And I think Paul would tell us Satan doesn't like what Above Bar Church is trying to do. If we don't expect difficulties, then when difficulties happen, it will be even harder. Struggles are hard enough without them being a surprise as well. You won't know exactly what troubles you're going to have as a Christian. But they are there. They're coming. So Paul talks about expecting difficulties, and he shows this here. But he doesn't give up. And one of the reasons he doesn't give up is he's got a great source of motivation. He's not a pessimist because he sees that Jesus is coming back. So although Paul is certain there are going to be difficulties in life, he's also certain that Jesus is going to come back. And he's so excited. There's this weird bit in this passage, uh, which is two, kind of around 2.19, where Paul starts talking about the Thessalonian church as his glory, which is not a way we normally talk about ourselves as Christians. We talk about God being glorious and God having the glory. But Paul seems to just get excited about thinking about the second coming and the Thessalonian church. It almost seems to me like... Paul's expecting when Jesus comes back, Paul's going to get to go, hey, Jesus, this is the Thessalonian church. Come and meet them. Which is, of course, ridiculous. Because if he tried that, Jesus will go, yes, Paul, I know them. And they know me. Thank you for your help in that, by the way. But Paul is excited for the second coming. And the way he phrases it, both times he mentions it in the passage we had read out, he talks about being in the presence of Jesus. This is Paul, the great thinker of the very early church, but only briefly got to meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. He didn't get to spend time with Jesus like quite a few of the other people who wrote the New Testament 
And Paul's so excited to get to be in the physical presence of Jesus when Jesus comes back. There's lots of other things that are going to happen in when Jesus comes back. And actually, Paul devotes a whole chunk of this letter to talking about the second coming. I'm not going to talk too much about the second coming because Paul devotes a chunk of the letter that we're looking at in a couple of weeks' time to talking about the second coming. But Paul is excited, and the thing he's most excited about is being in the presence of Jesus. When I was at uni, uh, there was a girl who, through some of the work of some of my friends, she became a Christian. And a few weeks after she became a Christian, she ended up going on a student weekend away. And on the student weekend away, that was the first time anyone told her that Jesus was coming back. I wasn't on that weekend away, but the amount of people when I heard about who said that she went around everybody on that weekend away, going, did you know Jesus is coming back? Jesus is coming back. Did you know that? And everyone went, yeah. But she'd come to meet Jesus through reading Luke's gospel and loved him. And the idea that he was going to get to, he was coming back and she was going to get to spend time with him thrilled her. And it thrills Paul so much that he ends up talking about it twice in a passage where he's not even meant to be talking about it. He just ends up mentioning it twice. In chapter 5, he'll devote a whole chunk on it. And he'll end that chunk by saying, therefore, encourage one another. And that's my th- the fourth thing that Paul does is he encourages. Partly, Paul being encouragement, encouraging is a natural consequence of my first three points. If you show people that they are loved by being affectionate and talking about them affectionately, they'll automatically be encouraged by that. Also, it's natural to encourage people when you live acknowledging that there are going to be difficulties. And talking about Jesus coming back is in of itself encouraging. So to some extent, this is a natural consequence of the other points. But also, Paul does it intentionally. Paul is so keen to encourage and strengthen and build up the Thessalonian church in their faith that he sent Timothy to go and do that. That's what he said he sent Timothy to go and do there. And then Paul is encouraged by that because Timothy, Paul sent Timothy in order to encourage them. Timothy comes back there and says they're doing really well. And so Paul then says he's encouraged by that. He then tells the Thessalonians that he was encouraged by Timothy's report, which I imagine encourages them further. Quite nice being told that someone says you're doing a good job, you're doing well, keep on going. It seems like there's encouragement just bouncing back and forth. If you're feeling discouraged, one potential solution that seems to have worked for Paul is to go and encourage someone. It's actually quite hard to be discouraged whilst you're encouraging someone else. And they might actively encourage you back, but actually just encouraging people builds an atmosphere of encouragement. So if you're struggling and you're feeling discouraged as a Christian, 
go and encourage someone else and be encouraged by yourself in doing that and hopefully by them as well. Finally, Paul is prayerful. This is one of the many times in Paul's writing where he almost seems to slip into praying. In the end of our chunk that we're looking at, Paul just ends up saying a prayer, or writing a prayer. It just happens. It doesn't seem like he planned it. He just prays. It's really, really beneficial if we can have a disciplined prayer life. But there's also something to be said about this kind of thing that Paul does, where when he's thinking about someone, he just ends up praying for them. I don't know about you, but sometimes I see things when I'm walking around or traveling or just looking through a shop, and I'll see something, and it will remind me of a friend. Sometimes I see something that reminds me of a friend, and I then pray for them. I wish I did that more. But when you're thinking about your friends, do you pray for them? Not just as a disciplined prayer time, which is, I'm not saying isn't something we should try and have. I'm saying actually just an attitude where prayer is just something that we do when we think about someone. Paul prays at the end of this. It's a short little prayer. And it doesn't seem to be necessary other than actually, I think to Paul, Praying for someone is the ultimate expression of love. Because Paul really believes that when he prays, God acts. And he really loves the Thessalonian church, so he prays for them. I promised Tanny in the office that when I mentioned praying for people, I'd mentioned the fact that there's a month of prayer for Connect 55 Plus coming up next month. So actually, if you actually go, yeah, I'd like to pray more, I'd like to pray for my fellow Christians more, there's a stand in the lounge where you can sign up to commit yourself to doing that for a particular group of people. Now, don't be restricted to just when you sign up for and just praying for connect. Also, when you're reminded of a friend, when there's something that prompts you, maybe you see an animal that they particularly love. Maybe you've got a friend who's got a thing for squirrels and you see a squirrel. Pray for them. When you're reminded of a friend, use as a prompt to pray. So, I've got five questions. Um, are we affectionate? Don't just think, no, people should show me affection more. You're, you can only control your own actions. Are you affectionate? Do you want people to be more affectionate? It kind of can only start with you. Do we expect difficulties? Do we acknowledge that difficulties are going to come? Do we have a false optimism that denies that there are going to be challenges? 
Or do we know about that? Do we look forward to Jesus' return so much that actually it just gets mentioned in a conversation anyway? Is that the background excitement we've got? Are we mutually encouraging? And are we prayerful? I don't want people to look at that list and just feel rubbish because they, there's more things to do. I genuinely mean these as questions. Some of these, I'm actually fairly confident to go, actually, I'm, I'm, I am. I am some of these, that's fine. Others I look at and go, no, I need to work on that. So can I challenge you that if you love the Lord Jesus, look at that list of questions and maybe just think, decide on one. Maybe two. Don't worry about all five. Just one or two that you're going to try and do better this week.